Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Amira Rasool, founder and CEO of The Folklore, an e-commerce retailer specializing in fashions by African designer brands. Since launching in 2018, The Folklore has partnered with Farfetch, expanded its focus, and raised $1.7 million in a pre-seed funding round. I wanted to ask Amira about the growth of her company thus far and about the potential for growing the African designer fashion category in the U.S. Welcome, Amira. Thank you for having me, Jill. I'm excited to be here. Excited to talk to you. Tell me, your background is not, this is not what you had maybe set out to be when you <laughs> when you started your career. You're more editorial, yeah? Yeah, yeah. This is not where I expected to be at all. Uh, I always expected to run my own business, uh, just not, I thought it was going to be in the media space, so not, not a retail business. So I, I started out uh, wanting to, like many New Jersey girls uh, that grew up in the town next to Anne Hathaway, she grew up in Melbourne. I grew up in South Orange. Uh, and I was obsessed with her role in the Devil Wears Prada. And so when I was in high school, my whole thing was I'm going to be, you know, the editor-in-chief of Vogue one day, uh, or I guess what whatever they called it, Runway. I think yes. or that was Ugly Betty. Either way, I watched a no, lot of like... No, it was totally Runway. It was Runway. So, and then <laughs> I think there was something else that Ugly Betty named it, but I watched both of the, that movie and that show, and those shows, that show religiously. And so... I really wanted to be in magazines. I thought it was really glamorous and I liked styling and I liked writing. And so when I went to college, I actually started majoring in journalism uh, and ended up switching my major to African-American and African studies after taking my first um, Black history course in undergrad and being exposed to a lot of history um, that I had no idea about. And so I really got interested in it. Um, And while I was in undergrad, I I was interning. So I was I interned at Women's Wear Daily. That was my first magazine internship. Then I interned at V Magazine after that. Or no, Mary Claire after that. Then I interned at V Magazine. Then I interned at The Fader. Um, And actually, my first internship before even Women's Wear Daily was an e-commerce intern at Cynthia Rowley, which is kind of funny. So it kind of... It kind of goes full circle. I I just took it because it was the only internship that I could get at like a reputable company. And then then the WWD opportunity came about. But uh, so I was very much still on track um, to, you know, have this career in editorial. The plan was to, when I graduate, work at a a magazine. But uh, that plan kind of shifted a bit when I took my first trip to Africa, which was in... I think it was January of 2016, and it was my senior year. I went with uh, two of my good friends. Uh, we went for 10 days and went to Joburg, and then I went to Cape Town. And I just fell in love like with the culture, with the designers, with the like creatives there, and the weather, how beautiful it was, the, the natural landscape. And I decided, you know, how do I find a way to do what I love when it comes to fashion, uh, but also like live or exist a lot in this space uh, and be able to also like, you know, amplify these brands. Because when I returned back, I was living in New York at the time and, you know, people were stopping me on the street, like, where'd you get these cool sandals or where'd you get this cool bag? And it was things that I picked up from designers um, in South Africa. And I started doing research and recognized that, you know, brands themselves at the time did not have direct-to-consumer e-commerce platforms of their own, and they also were not stocked in retail stores outside of their home country. So I recognize that as a problem, one being a problem that, you know, somebody like me loves these types of designs that are, you know, unique. They're coming from a different uh, point of view. Uh, 
they're sustainable, most of them. Uh, so there's people like me that want them and don't have access to it. But then there's also brands that want to expand globally, uh, that want to be able to, you know, have the financial success of brands that are in the West who have access to more opportunities. And so, you know, combining my interest and knowledge of, you know, Black history, uplifting Black people um, and, and our socioeconomic condition, combined with me loving to style and write and tell stories, it was basically a perfect merging of those which created um, the folklore. Uh, and so I decided after college, I started working at V Magazine for, and I was there for about a year as their fashion coordinator, decided to uh quit my job. Once I got into the University of Cape Town, I applied for a master's in African studies. Uh, And when I got in, quit, moved to Cape Town for two years to actually start uh, the business and really be on the ground, learn about what the brands, you know, really need out of a partner, what their ambitions are. And about two years after that, we launched the Folklore in 2016 as a direct-to-consumer e-commerce platform that focused on having men's and women's apparel, accessories, homeware, and beauty products um, at the fingertips of global customers. How cool. So you went to Cape Town with a mission. Like you're, you're over the course of two years, you're going to figure this out and at 22 start a business. Yeah. Like no fear. Yes. No fear. I, I remember when I got into the master's program, I called my dad and I was like, oh, I got into the program. And I was like, um, I'm like, so I, I, I'm thinking about like actually moving to South Africa. He goes, I mean, why wouldn't you? And I was like, okay. And that's kind of like the energy I always grew up with, like with my dad just encouraging me and just whatever I want to do, like do it. There's no reason why you can't do it. So uh, I think that's oh. really important to have like parents like that um, when you're growing up because, you know, that really like, it wasn't like, oh, are you sure? Like there's no security. Like he was just like, okay, cool. Like I'll come out and visit you during Christmas. And I was like, cool. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Your household is not my household. That is amazing. My mother would be like, you're staying home. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. No, my, like I remember one day my dad called me and I was in Puerto Rico and I, he was like, where are you? I was like, Puerto Rico. He's like, when did you get, this was in college. Like I was yeah. like, he was like, when did you get here? I was like, uh, like a few, like earlier this, earlier today. And he was, he was like, I, you didn't tell me you're going to Puerto Rico. I was like, you paid for it. He was like, oh, okay, well, have fun. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's kind of how I've always just been like that person who just like hops on a plane and everybody knows that I'll be okay. That's awesome. Back. How often are you in Africa now? Um, so I go for three months out of the year now. So I spend December through February and uh, typically I spend it in South Africa, but then I also spend some time in West Africa in December. Okay, great. Is that right now you're the focus of your, your, your product assortment? It's uh, South African designers. Yeah. Like how focused, I guess, is it? Yeah, so primarily our designers are based between South Africa and Nigeria. I would say that's probably where maybe 60 to 70% of our brands have come from. Uh, and that's just because they have like such like robust like collection of creators there. Uh, between, you know, Nigeria that has Lagos Fashion and Design Week, that has been such a huge part of growing Africa's, um, you know, prominence within the fashion space and then also with uh, South Africa so many like amazing brands coming out of there like Tebe who won the LVMH prize like Rich and Nisi um so yeah for sure those are the two and then we also have you know a lot that I mean not a lot but we're starting to develop more relationships with brands in Ghana 
as well as uh, we're really looking to Morocco this uh, summer, actually. So when you first went to Africa and you said you came back with all these clothes and amazing things, I mean, were you like a kid in a candy store? Were you, were you just like, this does not exist in the States and you're like, get it now or never. Like to, that just opened your eyes, that, that one pivotal point. I was a broke kid in a candy store. So I was still an <laughs> undergrad. So I, you know, I probably picked up like a few pieces and most of them weren't designer pieces because I couldn't afford a lot of those. Like, I think I got maybe like one or two designer pieces. Uh, and then I got some pieces that were just like from markets that also just were like really cool. Um, so I had, but I did really enjoy myself. We spent a day shopping. I always, whenever I go to a different country, I always spend a day shopping locally, like finding whatever the coolest boutiques are. Uh, and so even from that, like, I just fell in love with a lot of the multi-brand stores that they created there. Uh, and so I looked to them for a lot of inspiration. So, like, there's a store called AKJP that I uh, constantly go to, and they're actually on the Folklore Marketplace, so you can shop their products um, on shop.thefolklore.com. Uh, and then there's also another store called Merchants on Long that's really great. Uh, so, yeah, I was I was really excited to discover all those places. Nice. Well, tell me about the business model out of the gate. Was it a wholesale model? Was it always kind of a marketplace? And was there a lot of red tape or rules and regulations into like bringing these designers, their work to the States? Yeah. So originally we operated as a traditional multi-brand e-commerce. So we ordered most of our product on consignment and then we did some wholesale and we had the brands twice a year you know, ship the products to us. We warehoused them in the States and then we fulfilled the orders um, from, well, initially we fulfilled it from my mom's house, uh, which I'm sitting in right now. She, when I went, cause I had to go back to Cape Town to finish my master's program. So I came here, launched it and like left maybe two months afterwards. So she was fulfilling all the orders initially. Uh, and then we eventually moved into a 3PL. So we, Initially, the first time we even had product go on the site, I didn't have enough money to actually ship it because it's very expensive to ship from Africa, especially if you don't have like some sort of like deal or discount with any of the local couriers. So I was staying in Cape Town, picked up all of the items from the designers in Cape Town, put it in a suitcase, flew to Joburg, uh, Johannesburg, put all the, got all of the stuff from the designers in Johannesburg, then flew to Lagos picked up all the designers' products from Lagos. And then with three suitcases, two carry-ons, and then me having several jackets on top of me, came and flew into JFK. And my dad's waiting for me, like, outside, like, what is happening? What did you, <laughs> like... So we got all of the stuff in that we first ever launched on the site in three suitcases. And I carried it from three different cities. Oh my gosh. And now you sorted this all out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so then I kind of started doing it more of the legal way where, you know, we were started, we had, we had a little bit more money. So then we started <laughs> shipping do what it. you got to do. Yeah. But you know, the hustle, you know, you have to, you, you have to make it work. So. Yeah. What did it take? Did you have to build relationships with these designers, with these brands in order? Yeah. I'm going to take your stuff on consignment. Like what did it take to get them? team with you? Yeah, for sure. Because I, when I originally thought of the idea, I started reaching out to designers when I was still in the States and nobody was responding to me. And I was like, that's fair. You don't know me. I'm like this young girl who's like in a, you know, uh, a 
begin like entry level person at VMAG. So it wasn't like I had much credibility. And so I knew that it was important for one, for me to be able to make sure I'm building a business that really satisfies their needs to be on the ground, but also so that I can build those relationships with them. Um, because these designers have, you know, been burned in the past with companies that have tried to do something similar. Uh, and, you know, they just don't want to be exploited. And that makes sense. So being out there was really important. So like going to fashion events. So while I was out there, I flew to Lagos Fashion and Design Week um, before it started, before we launched and met designers that way. Uh, I would, you know, meet designers by just going into their boutiques and then they would introduce me to other people. The first designer who I actually signed, um, his name was Nicholas uh, Coots, and he actually has since passed, but he was the first designer that... Um, was like, okay, cool. I'm going to take a chance on you. I was like obsessed with his, his uh, brand. And after that, it was like, you know, he introduced me to some people. And so it was, it was very much like, you know, coming and sitting, I sat in his home and we talked about it and he had a studio on the back of his house. Um, you know, being able to like go to people's houses and meet their family, it, it really was important um, for them to know that this wasn't just something where I was coming in to, you know, just make a bunch of money off of them. I wanted to help them build businesses. Like the whole focus of the folklore is to build social and economic opportunities for African and Black people. So being able to increase the amount of exports coming out of the continent, being able to um, increase the amount of jobs um, on the continent, and just, you know, the overall economy is really like the goal for what we're doing. That's so interesting. Do you, why has it any retailer or done what you're doing prior like what do you think uh racism i would say um a lot of it has to do with the fact that um they don't see uh black or african designers as uh having much value um and and a lot of that is like i think unconscious bias where you know you attach value to um you know european designers um because that's just what has always been like prioritized as the most valuable. And I think even now people are trying to, or starting to um, see past that, you know, even them saying, well, you know, would people outside of Africa wear clothes by African designers? Like, yes, people just want to wear nice clothes. Like there's also been a connotation around like, Africa is just always being about like these prints and these vibrant, like not knowing that there's a whole, you know, collection of designers that are doing something, doing something way different. So that was also our purpose. There were already really great e-commerce companies out there that were doing it for like lower price point brands that were making more of like the traditional Ankara, like those Dutch, Dutch wax prints that, you know, have more of a cultural meaning. We wanted to be the company that was spotlighting the brands that were doing something that was a bit more minimalist or a bit more, you know, architectural and, and artistic, um, you know, because we also did not want to be the people that were like, um, basically like championing cultural appropriation where we were selling like white people dashikis. Like that wasn't what we were interested in doing. We wanted to make sure that the brands that we sourced were, um, could be worn by anybody and had the universal appeal. And there's, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of brands on the African continent, um, that can that can do that. So I think it was really just around value and how, you know, um, whiteness has always been valued over blackness. And that has, you know, transcended and really perme- permeated through so many facets of our life, um, whether or not somebody's like doing it on purpose. It's just um, a result of, of of those of those systems that have been in place for so long. 
Yes. Tell me, it's, it's so important that you launched in 2018. This is not a new venture. I'm sure you've seen um, the rise of the conscious consumer and brands launching the 15% pledge in the last two years. How has that impacted your business? How has that, yeah, more competition, more demand for, from you or, or how, how has that read for the business? Yeah. So like right after George Floyd was murdered, it was maybe, I think maybe like a week, week, week and a half of when a lot of magazines were publishing articles saying these are the black owned, you know, brands or retailers to support. And we were on every list. It was insane. Like we'd already had nice press before, but it was, they were, we were on every list. And I think our Instagram followers grew from, I think we had maybe 3000 to 10 in like, in like a week. Um, our orders, we had like a crazy month. Um, we just had like a lot of like really great, uh, inbound and success. And it was, and it's great. They, I think the saying is, um, when preparation meets opportunity or so, you know, when, when we were basically, we knew that we were, we were, we were basically knew what the future was going to look like. We knew that Africa was the future these black owned brands were the future because people were getting bored of like the same old same old, you know, like people were talking about how boring fashion is and what you now have, like, I've, we've been able to unlock this opportunity of brands that, you know, have a different point of view because they're living in different environments. They have access to different um, fabrics and different natural resources. Um, they have a, a certain cultural and heritage um, point of view that really shines through in their in their products uh and that's and we recognize that so it was it was great to see everybody catching up on it it's sad that something so tragic had to happen in order for this action to you know in order for this movement to begin but it's also now a matter of like now that it's here making sure that we are holding everybody accountable because it wasn't just it's not like the designers were just good for that season um now it's how do we continue this conversation? And I think that's very much how the Folklore Connect um, will be, you know, supporting um, the efforts to increase the amount of retailers that these brands can really work with. Yes. Tell me about this, the Folklore Connect. Yeah. So the Folklore Connect is our newest product and it is a B2B wholesale e-commerce platform that is focused on empowering uh, global retailers to discover and shop African and Black-owned uh, fashion and lifestyle brands. So our purpose is to help retailers and the next generation of brands uh, work together to provide global customers with products they love. So we want people to be able to walk into any retail store around the world and be able to find something from a black owned or African designer. And a lot of this really came from the early feedback that we got from um, retailers when we launched our direct to consumer platform. Uh, where people were reaching out asking us if we can curate an edit for them, or they were asking, can we put them in contact with one of our brands? And so we recognized as early as 2019 that we were going to move into B2B wholesale after this. Uh, And that's because we know that, you know, it was the cheapest way to enter this market and to help these brands was through direct-to-consumer, starting a Shopify store and selling product. Uh, But we know that that was not going to be something that could scale and make these brands, you know, huge. You know, we knew that it was going to, that other retailers were going to want in as we, you know, helped establish them. Like I think about 90% of our brands were not sold outside of their country until we, until we launched. So seeing all the positive feedback and the customer demand, we were like, okay, B2B 
B2B is going to be our next move. Let's really work hard to, you know, keep this D2C going for right now and then and then figure out when is the right time. And uh, so we actually launched in April the beta for it, uh, recognizing that the demand for these brands was going up even higher. So some of the brands that we had once exclusively carried were now being stocked by Saks and Bloomingdale's and et cetera, but they still did not have an easy way to discover more of these brands. They just kind of had like a handful of brands that, you know, have always been in the news. Um, they also didn't really like have in some, in some cases, like the knowledge of how to work with these brands, which is different than working with some Western brands that have um, different access to resources. Uh, and so we want to make sure that we can build a product that made sure that the retailers have the best experience possible and the brands have the best experience possible. So on the brand side, we uh, they're able to upload products directly to the platform that they have available. Uh, they're able to accept payment through um, credit cards, um, checks, etc., and then they are able to manage all of their orders in one place and also discover retailers that retailers can either opt in or opt out of direct brand outreach, but they're able to at least see uh, all of the retailers that we have on board, message back and forth with them, and also be able to video chat with them uh, on the platform. Uh, so that's actually what's launching in August, at the end of August. The beta ha- is a little bit more scaled down, but uh, Got it. In, at the end of, at the end of August, all of those features will be available. And then on the retailer side, they have access to discover vetted brands. So we vet all of the brands and have like a really tight curation. They're able to uh, place orders. They're also able to apply for net terms, um, so they could get uh, like net sixty terms. That way the brand can actually have their money up front and the retailers can still pay net 30, net 60 um, if they are if they qualify. And then they're able to actually get data around these brands. So being able to um, use all the data that we've had, uh, with, that we've accumulated over the past few years uh, with our direct-to-consumer platform, as well as the self-reported data from the brands, as well as the, as well as the data we're collecting in real time on our B2B platform, um, that's going to be something that really helps these brands make smart, I mean, these retailers make smarter buying decisions because we have this proprietary data um, that nobody else has because nobody's been working with these brands for as long as we have. It's so cool. So is there opportunity or interest from you in maybe partnering with the, the 15% pledge or partnering with a broader marketplace that is trying to prioritize um, diversity in their offerings or whatever? Um, partnerships like that, are they happening? Are you exploring? Yes, we'd love to partner with 15% pledge. Or if you're listening... Yeah, let's, I think that would get, make great let's get a conversation sense. started. Um, yes, <laughs> so we would love to partner with them, and there's so many other organizations as well that's uh, that's doing great work, and I feel like we align so well with them. And I think that um, this is something that's new; it's never been done before. We are the first B two B wholesale e commerce platform that's focused on Black owned and African brands exclusively. Uh, the other platforms that are out there right now on the B two B side. Um, they don't actually cater to the unique needs of this of this group. So um, at some of them, you can't even be based in Africa and be on the platform. Um, others, you can't actually accept payment if you're based in Africa. Um, you're not able to like coordinate sh- uh, shipping on the platform, which is something that we offer, um, you know, real-time shipping rates where you can just, you know, print the label and the commercial invoice and you don't have to actually worry about it to yourself. So you know, most of the time these companies start out in North America, they go to Europe, then they go to Asia, and then maybe South America, then 
Africa last. So we built this product with uh, African and Black-owned brands um, at the forefront and not as an afterthought. And so we want to definitely work with other um, organizations that are you know, interested in doing the same thing with the goal of being able to really get these brands into retail stores um, and be able to help them build successful businesses. Tell me about, I feel like Farfetch happened a while back. Was that more about a curation, like you were mentioning, um, that partnership and maybe that prompted this idea to go deeper in that B2B area? Yeah, so Farfetch happened, uh, we launched with them in November 2020, I believe. And that was basically as a result of um, Jeff Fowler, who was the president of Farfetch North America. I saw him, yes. I saw him at a conference or no, they were hosting something for Dream Assembly, the um, accelerator that um, Farfetch has. And I raised my hand. I was just like, hey, what can I do to help you like increase the amount of Black-owned brands on your platform? And this was before George Floyd. This was probably like, like uh, 2019, maybe. And okay. he was like, okay, let's have a conversation. Told him about what we were doing. And we were like, okay, look, we're a boutique or online commerce you know, platform, we can bring you the brands and we can do the fulfillment. Um, let's find a way to partner and then even increase and increase the amount of black owned brands. So it seemed, I think we either 2x or 3x the amount of black owned brands on the platform when we launched that partnership. And Farfetch was super supportive. It's been great. You know, we're continuing to find ways to work with um, them, even though we've, you know, now pivoted our business model. And so a lot of that was was around like, Farfetch wanted to work with these brands, but uh, it takes a lot to work with Farfetch. Um, it's they, it's there's a lot of like, uh, there's a lot of like technical things. It takes you know putting some money out there as well, and so we were willing to put the money out there um, in order to and and be able to uh, do the logistics part of it in order to get these brands that visibility, and it, it definitely paid off. You know, customers received it really well. Um, uh, brands got other opportunities because they were found they were found on there. So um, we did realize, though, throughout that process, it was very difficult and manual to do it. And that's why we, you know, really had to sit there and think, like, we can't do this manually like this. Like, so that was, like, basically the last partnership that we did with, like, a, a marketplace or a retailer uh, because it was it was just too difficult. And we are like... Other buyers are going to have this issue. These brands do not want to pay the expensive cost on go- to go on some of these uh, current B2B wholesale e-commerce platforms, or they actually can't because of where they're located. So how do we go out and solve this problem sooner rather than later? And so we decided to change our D2C business into a marketplace. So now it's called shop.thefolklore.com. So consumers are still able to go on view products, um, be able to sort by category or by designer. Uh, but now they're seeing products from all around the web. So we have, you know, um, we've pulled all the black owned brands from Farfetch and all the products onto our platform. Same thing from the, uh, the retailer I mentioned, AKJP. We've also pulled them from our brand's websites. And so now you're able to see um, orange culture and where it's and all the depart- all of the retailers that it's sold. Um, all the products that are sold through retailers and also through their website. And then when you click that product, it directs you to checkout on either the retailer or the brand's website. So that way we're still able to be that source for where people can discover these brands um, and find an easy way to shop them whilst being able to focus, you know, on 
our primary mission now of getting them in more retail stores. Yep, that makes great sense. Tell me, so you right now you're marketing to anyone, maybe via Google or a search or you tell me, but anybody who's really like they are shopping with uh, black designers in mind, African designers in mind, anybody that's looking, you want to be in front of them, yeah? Yes. On the so on the wholesale front, we that's who we're marketing to. We're marketing to retailers now, and we are marketing to people who just want to have great product, um, who are a part of this new social commerce wave um, or conscious commerce wave where, you know, they want to invest in brands that actually have a purpose, that make great product, that are sustainable, um, because that's what the the customer is demanding now. You know, customers are demanding from retailers to have sustainable brands, sustainable practices. They're also demanding diversity. And so we want, you know, when a retailer is thinking about, okay, where can I find great product, um, be able to hit, hit, hit that, um, you know, that, that major qualification of, you know, being sustainable, hit that qualification of us making sure that we're diversifying our dollars, that they go to the folklore. Um, and that they'd also know that these products are something that customers want outside of it just being sustainable because they're stylish, because they're, they're, they're very forward thinking individuals who are creating these, these products. Uh, and so that's what we want to be. Whenever you're thinking about wholesale and Africa and black brands that they're coming to the folklore to shop. Yes. And on the flip side, are you telling brands um, in Africa, brand founders, owners, leaders, that, um, you know, you're the launch pad for for a business in the States? We hear that elsewhere, like you need to feed on the ground to make a go of it. Um, are you kind of their ultimate partner? Exactly. We're, we're here to unlock that global opportunity for them. So we, I know... F- and for the African designers, that that's very important, being able to have, you know, those people on the ground here. But even for our, our designers that are in the diaspora, so the we work with a lot of um, Black-owned brands that are based in the U.S. or the U.K., where they might actually physically be here, but they still don't have access to, like, a buyer at Nordstrom, or they don't have access to even, like, the local boutique that's really trendy that's in Minneapolis, like, we are we are the bridge to you know help them get to those people that they don't have access to uh, even if they are they are on the ground. Okay, great. Tell me about the gosh supply chain obstacles and um, just shipping globally. This has to have been a major headache for you. How have you been able to navigate that in the last couple of years? Yeah, I'm just glad we're not doing it anymore. Uh, that's yeah. <laughs> I think that is problem. I always I tell people we I sleep better. Like you know I feel like way less stress on me uh, because it, it was definitely difficult during the pandemic. Um, it was a bit difficult for everyone. And I think one thing that um, is, is really difficult when it comes to Africa is the cost of, of shipping and exporting out of there, um, which is not going to be a problem moving forward, at least on our platform, because um, we will be doing free shipping for all retailers. So that will be, you know, definitely an added benefit there. Um, and so, you know, I think some of the major things is um, sourcing really dried up during the uh, pandemic, um, as well as just like production capabilities, because there are some of our brands that, you know, are small and it's just a small team of, of, of seamstress that are doing their work. But then we also have brands that have their own factories that make, you know, hundreds of, or thousands of units a, a day. And when one person got COVID, the whole factory shut down. 
Um, and so, you know, it's already difficult enough um, when you don't have, you're not in the middle of a global pandemic, um, particularly because of the, the shipping issues. But um, I think that what, what we're doing is we're at least um, alleviating some of those uh, pain points through technology, like being able to create the real-time shipping labels and getting discounted shipping rates through our platform. Um, so not having to go and shop around to a bunch of different uh, shipping couriers to see which what's the best rate. Um, being able to uh, actually like track, okay, if I said that this order is going to be shipping between August and September, that means that I'm going to need to ship by, you know, X, X amount of date. So being able to calculate that and also just having the support from our team. So, you know, having our customer success team there to be able to talk to a brand and say, okay, if you just have, the, if you got this big order and from a department store, I know you can't produce this in-house. If you need uh, assistance finding a production facility, we have a partner that we're partnering with that actually finds production facilities in in Africa for brands that need to produce in bulk. So being able to really not just be their tech partner, but their overall business partner when it comes to making sure that they can deliver quality products on time um, and to be able to do it in an affordable way. So we're really looking to tap into our network. And if there's anybody who's here who wants to be a part of that network, we're looking to really find other businesses that we can collaborate with to help them um, help these brands, you know, do some of the, do some of what's necessary in order to scale their business wholesale wise. So like being able to create GS1 codes, we don't have that capability in our tech yet, yet, but we'd love to partner with the company that we refer our brands to, to make sure that it's getting done properly. Um, same thing if a brand will come to us and say, hey, I'm looking for somebody who can help me with marketing. We want to be able to have like look into our index and say this is a company that, you know, focuses on that. Um, so that's really kind of what we are hoping to continue to build on is like supporting our brands. We do a monthly speaker series now. So our first speaker this month was um, she was she used to lead product development at Alexander Wang. So she came in and did an hour um, Q&A with everyone, did a presentation. Next week, we're doing it with a product, um, somebody who does pr- uh, production sourcing. Um, so we'll we'll bring in somebody who does like financial planning another month. And so we really are, we're, uh, are into building um, community where we can really rely on each other. We have a Slack channel where brands can message back and forth that they might have not, you know, met. M- ever met before, who somebody who might be in France, and then this person might be in Brazil. Uh, and then we want to be able to uh, make sure that we are pushing for continuous learning, because that's something that we value a lot internally as a team, and we want to promote uh, externally to all of our brand partners. Let's talk about that. I was even going to talk about consumer facing, that balance of I guess, content and commerce, like how much education do you need to be doing? What's too much? Like, is that a constant conversation? So we have the amazing Ronnie who runs the Folklore Edit, which is our um, our new media platform. And so we actually decided to move it and make it its own individual site because of how important content is to us. So we want to be that content source that whenever a Black designer or an African-based designer uh, launches a collection, you can see the, the photos there. Um, whenever, you know, we want to do deep analysis. So, you know, we've done 
we have something coming up about around like fashion schools and whether they're necessary and the types of fat the types of fashion schools that uh, are on the continent being able to do a deep dive into the success of a certain brand q and a's so it is very important because these brands are new to continue to allow them to tell their story and for us to provide our own analysis around not only just the creative elements of it but the actual business of you know Africa and the diaspora and so that's what we are doing on on the edit. So, you know, when there's a when there's a runway show, when Lagos Fashion Week is happening, you can find out all about it um, on the folklore edit. And then also just being able to promote the brands that we have on Connect. So retailers can come and see, oh, who's net, who's who's the latest designer? Oh, that's great that they, you know, were inspired by this or they were inspired by that. And also getting community voices. Um, you know, with that network that we've been developing, we want to be able to have you know a an, a q a with an expert who might know a lot about like tech as a you know what type of software smaller uh, smaller brands need to be using and, and be able to give their point of view that way uh, so we really don't like to just like talk at people we like to get the community involved and make it a conversation uh and, and make it you know a creative one uh and make it something that's digestible for the average person uh, so that's really what we we look to do with with content. We were very successful at at it when we were doing direct to consumer, consistently doing like photo shoots around the world, and you know it was really exciting and fun there. But now we're really into more informative content um, that is centered around uh, the business, um, the 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 creative industry, and um, the and and tech and B two B wholesale and things like that. That makes sense. So you, I. I get a hint of your aspirations in terms of this network with retailers and um, partners from marketing to every area uh, to build build out kind of resources for your brands. Tell me about, I guess, your team in-house, how large it's grown. You've obviously got people in edit. Um, yeah. Who's on your team? Yeah. So we have um, our great head of engineering. His name's Adil. So he's running. He's the one who's building all the behind the scenes magic uh, that you guys will see at the end of August. Uh, we have our marketing expert, Coinsola, who's amazing. And she leads all of our marketing efforts and has, you know, been she's actually the person who's been with us the longest. So oh, hey. it's been great. Coinsola is <laughs> amazing. Uh, and then we have uh, Carlton, who's overseeing all of our uh sales for bringing brands onto the platform. And uh, then we have Ronnie and she's the one who runs our editorial. So we are currently hiring a few more people now. So we'll have a team of around 12 by the end of the summer. Um, And then we have some awesome interns that come and help us out each semester, which always have to give them a shout out because I was a star intern. Uh, yes. I, I believe internships are really important. I was such a good intern. And that's why <laughs> no like, I had multiple job opportunities available to me when I was graduating, which is rare when you're working in magazines, because basically there's only one or two assistant positions when you are when at a magazine. And most of the time people are there for two, three years. So um, I always encourage people to treat those internships like jobs and really put your all into it and keep in touch with people because the person who wrote our first Forbes article was one of my friend's from my internship at Mary Claire and the person who wrote our second Forbes article was my former boss when I was interning at Women's Wear Daily. Oh, uh, stop. Yes. I love that. Yes. And you're like, my, how the tables have turned. <laughs> it's great though. It's like, I, it's like 
It's like I like when I chatted with her, she was like, oh, it's so great. I'm so proud of you. It was great. It's great to see how, you know, things have evolved. So, yeah. Tell me about your fundraising um, experience. Um, Was that a long time coming? Did it come easier than for most? I'm sure it's always a a struggle in a full time job. Yeah, definitely didn't come easier for most um, because one black, two women. So uh, (laughs) double whammy, like in this space, which is crazy still to this day. Yeah, like the only other thing it could like. There's just so. There's just. I was just like, man. Now imagine if I was left handed. Like there's just. There's just. (laughs) There's just a lot um, that goes into uh, raising capital as a as a black woman. And I tried to initially raise like even when I first started the business in like 2018 and I just didn't know what I was doing I didn't like this isn't the background that I came from you also don't learn how to raise capital in high school like even college I don't think that there's necessarily there might be some schools that offer entrepreneur courses but you know it's just something that you end up learning from it's like a trial and error or you you know happen to end up having a really great um you know, mentor or somebody who's done it before. I didn't have any of that. So I kind of just was trying to beg people for money. And I realized that that wasn't really working. And then when I got into Techstars Seattle, uh, which is a pretty big uh, accelerate, uh, tech accelerator that has uh, cohorts around the world, that's when I was really able to learn how to properly fundraise. Um, because like when I'm, when I have access to something, I'm going to really, you know, make sure that I utilize um, all of the resources provided to me. And so I really took that time to really learn how to fundraise and do it well and and understand that, you know, it's also it's about who I'm speaking to, not wasting time with investors that, you know, don't really invest in this space or who it might be, you know, something where it's it's going to be a it's going to be a difficult yes um, for them. So knowing who to speak to um, also knowing um, what your timeline is and really keeping that timeline and really telling a great story. I always, I never really saw myself as a good like salesperson. Uh, I consider myself a great storyteller, but through written word, now I haven't really like associated myself with being like a good oral um, storyteller. And I really was able to like hone that, hone that, um, that, that skill while I was at um, tech stars. And so being able to get out of tech stars, we started the fundraise, you know, off in May. And I was like, I'm going to close it in July. We closed it in July. And it was like, I tried to raise unsuccessfully for almost four years. And then I did it in less than three months. And it was also the confidence that I came out with. It changed my mindset. I, I had to change my mindset of, I'm not begging them for for money like this is a great company it's going to do extremely well the investors who get in now are going to make a lot of money so it, it's actually like a privilege for you to be able to come in on this round um and it's a privilege like it's it's something also like investors are really important to your business so you also have to be um, intentional about making sure you have really great investors so not just taking money from anyone and it was very important to me that we had a diverse group of investors so i think over almost or over 60% of our investors were black. Uh, the people who led our round, Slauson and Co., it's founded by two um, black investors. Uh, and then I think about 60% was also women and 80% were people of color. And so really wanting to make sure that we um, made sure to get 
in front of those types uh, and those types of investors because it is, again, it's about making money. We want to make, you know, more diverse investors money. Um, and yeah, so it was really, it was really exciting. Um, it was so it was it was like not unexpected, but it was definitely like as somebody who tried to do this for three or four years, I was like, oh my god, like this is really happening. Um, so it was exciting, and I <laughs> at and last, I, yeah, it's exciting, and I feel like you know honored to be in in that small group of like less than two hundred women who have raised over a million, but also at the same time like enraged that that is the number. So always like open and willing to talk to other Black women around you know or Black people in general around. You know, what I've learned, I'm still not a pro. I'm still going to have to keep raising capital for several more years just because that's how the business goes. But I would love to provide any insight um, to people that I have. I mean, I feel like we need the Amira Rasul guide to fundraising on Glossy. (laughs) Maybe. What you learned. Wait until I close my my next round and then I'll I'll think I'll have a little bit more. Yeah. I have a little bit more uh, that I can give to y'all. I want to give y'all some bad advice. And then everybody's talking about, I'm here tank my business. And I'm like, oh, sorry. <laughs> no way. Oh my gosh. Well, we are so out of time. But tell me this year, what can we expect um, in the next 12 months, not necessarily 2022? Yes. In the next 12 months, you will see the launch of the Folklore Connect, uh, which will be open to the public. Uh, and that will be at the end of August slash early September. Uh, you'll be able to see us partnering with some really great organizations and fashion weeks um, and being able to have some physical activity, physical um, events that will allow you to actually go and see some of these amazing designers we're working with. And we will also be continuing to grow the marketplace portion of it and getting more retailers and brands on board so that consumers have more access to these products. But the Folklore Connect is, is our, is our future. It's, you know, really the future of conscious commerce. It's the future of, you know, creating opportunities for these African and Black owned brands. And I'm excited to see how amazing everything turns out. I'm excited too. And would you just say like, are you, I don't know, just scratching the surface of the creativity that exists in the African market? Like, is this like, there's a lot there. Like there's no shortage. You're just, you're discovering designers left and right. Oh, for sure. There's thousands of brands and that's, and that's with a curation, with our curation, we still have the potential to have thousands of brands on the platform and we haven't even scratched the surface. We only have one brand in South America right now. And there's tons of black uh, designers in South America. You know, we haven't really even scratched the surface with uh, parts of Europe as well as uh, East Africa, Central Africa. So there's so much potential. There's so much talent out there and there are consumers that want these brands. And so we're going to find a way to get it to them. Yes. And I keep saying last question, but really last question. Are, is there criteria in terms of um, the categories you're focusing on? Is that also expanding? Yes. Yeah, so the, um, that will expand in the future for the first year. Um, we're focused on uh, apparel, accessories, homeware, and beauty products. Uh, mostly contemporary uh, price point and above, uh, but we're going to be continuing to expand um, price points as well as categories uh, in the next few years. Nice. Well, watch this space. Amira, thank you so much for being here. This is great. Thank you so much for having me. And everyone, check out The Folklore at thefolklore.com or connect The Folklore Connect at connect.thefolklore.com. There's edit.thefolklore.com, our media platform, and then shop.thefolklore.com 
our consumer platform. Uh, and then you can follow me on Instagram at Amira Rasul and the Folklore on Instagram at the Folklore. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. If you liked this episode, be sure to share it with someone else you think would. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.